Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, coming at you with my co-host, Tom Lewis, and colleague, Caitlin Cooper, over to Indie Cornrows. First of all, before we get started, please be sure, if you have not already, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and check us out anywhere else you get your podcasts. That really helps us with growing this, as well as you know getting some good feedback from you guys and making sure that we're, we're putting out content that you enjoy and, and, and want to listen to. Um, and also, be sure to go read our content over at IndieCornrows.com. Uh, Caitlin and Tom, and soon myself, uh, I'll be back on the riding horse in a minute, uh, have been putting out great content and uh, you'll, you'll be enjoying it for sure. Uh, so, you know, just diving right into it. First of all, Caitlin, how are you doing? Tom, how are you doing? Well. Doing well. <laughs> this is what I get every time I Jinx. ask both of you. I, I always have to start off one at a time. Caitlin, how are you doing? My bad. <laughs> well, I'm doing well. I think to sum up my emotion for the day, if you like remember the Geico ad with the pig that has its head out the window and is like, we, that, that would be me, I think, yeah. from today's rumors. <laughs> how about you, Tom? What's your vibe check? Yeah, it's uh, like, haven't we been around this block before? But um, I guess we can rehash the rehash. Yeah, I kind of got fed up with it, so I wrote a little bit about it. But. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, Tom and I, we, I guess we'd kind of been planning on doing a podcast today. We were maybe going to push it to tomorrow, but now it had to happen today. So um, a much bigger news dump for a, a Monday in the middle of, I almost said October, September. Gosh, these months are just killing me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, Doc Rivers fired um, very unexpectedly, just completely out of nowhere. Um, we can hash that out in a minute as well. But the big thing for today, um, Jared Weiss of The Athletic uh, covers the team for the Boston Celtics, actually a really good writer, um, su- super enjoyable on pause as well. Uh, he wrote in an article about – it was this kind of season-closing article on the Celtics um, about moves that they might make to, to you know try and uh, shore up the roster for a deeper run next year. Um, and he talked about Vic looking to move on this offseason was his exact term. Um, and said that Miles Turner may be in the same boat. And in all honesty, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say for me right away. And he also meant that in regards to a trade where Gordon Hayward would go for one of them. I don't think he implied both of them because that would be uh, not great for Indiana, uh, I don't think. Uh, but uh, anyways, my point being, uh, I think we've kind of heard this, you know, that, that Vic wants out for, you know, three months, just like rumblings of it and um, a myriad of different forms and uh, I think it's been pretty well covered that Miles would be the odd man out a little bit and I mean in talking to Jay Michael uh, of the Indy Star on our offseason prospectus it feels like six months ago was I think two weeks ago Um, he talked about how Miles Turner is expecting to be on a new roster next season so for me at least this doesn't really seem like anything super new I guess having it brought up in a national article makes a difference but um, I just want to hit up right away with what you guys thought if, if there was anything really bringing different for you uh, from today's drop. Well, I guess so much that it was specifically in print. In addition, I think somebody said that he did mention on the podcast, but that Jared put that into print. Um, I know I did uh, email exchange, but Jonathan Macri at the Strickland, who also has his own newsletter had specifically wrote that he had heard from sources that Victor 
um, once out of Indiana as well. He covers the Knicks. Um, another person that I've talked to who's a colleague that covers the NBA at large had said that he had heard that Victor Wolf is expected to ask out for a trade. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily new. I think this information and this type of chatter is out there, but once it's in print, we all kind of have to react to it. And this mm-hmm. is the first um, kind of sort of major reporter that's had it out there. Even though I know that, like you said, Jay has indicated on Twitter and in articles that Victor was leaning that way over the last, you know, month or so. And certainly there's enough weirdness in the bubble leading up to the bubble (laughs) and a lot of stuff that was going on that I think that everybody watching that probably should have thought something isn't quite, (laughs) isn't quite right here. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to uh, major in reading tea leaves to uh, get all the, the hints that it's kind of been moving this way. And, and I even kind of joked that, you know, maybe this time it wasn't, Victor's people that were pushing this out <laughs> as a source. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure at some point, um, the, you know, the Pacers are going to have to c- come to terms and, and do something with it. Maybe, maybe they already have, but <laughs> it is, uh, it definitely looking like, you know, the, we, we kind of assume there were going to be some major changes with the coaching change and it feels like, uh, we're on the cusp, but with this weird schedule and, and the way things are laying out, I don't, I don't know where exactly the cusp line is right now, but um, it, it just feels like um, we're heading that way. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And I think, you know, the first – I brought up Doc Rivers right away because I think – I don't want to say that the Pacers are at a disadvantage now in, in getting a coach. I don't mean that at all. But now, I mean, we went from the Pacers being – uh, and, you know, you have the benefit from being the first team to have a real coaching vacancy. Um, you know, at least I believe they were the first team to have a coaching vacancy. Um, but now, I mean, Clippers have opened up um, and, the, I mean, Philly's opened up. I, there are other jobs with that you could argue as being um, more uh, likable is the wrong way of putting it, but you, you know what I mean. I mean, they have they have maybe more appeal for a coach who wants to to win right away or to go for a championship or something. Um, so I I don't I don't want to say that it hinders the Pacers coaching aspects, but in terms of like um, maybe drawing someone like Mike D'Antoni or just getting the the top coaching prospect, I don't know. I, I do you think that that maybe factors in at all? Yeah, I mean, the Clippers job certainly I would think would be the most uh, appealing one, as you say. I mean, that's the automatic contender status. I think most people would see it that way, but it is a more high-pressure job. I mean, you're going to go in there, there's going to be an expectation of winning right away. You have two stars who will be at the end of their contracts and could potentially move on. So, I mean, it, it depends on what we don't know who all, I mean, every day it feels like there, there becomes somebody that gets revealed that has interviewed already with the Pacers that we didn't know about. And, and you don't know what type of situation all of those coaches might want. I mean, and some of it goes back to, you know, what, what order do you do things in? I mean, I know Mark and I touched on this the last pod that everything that the Sixers are doing right now seems completely out of order. I mean, their front <laughs> office is out of order and then they're, we don't even really know who's making decisions there. And then they, they want Mike D'Antoni and yet they're letting the league know that, Hey, if we hire Mike D'Antoni, we might be willing to trade one of our players and Hey, maybe two years from now he'll attract James Harden. Like that just seems a little bit strange. And I know um, Kyle Newbeck who covers the Sixers, out there in Philly used to write at Liberty ballers. I know he indicated that some around the league wonder if some of that isn't a leverage play from D'Antoni as in maybe he didn't get the sort of 
offer from the Pacers in terms of money or years that he was looking for. And maybe he's been courting the Sixers trying to, to negotiate that way. I mean, who knows, but I don't know how many of the candidates that would be looking at the Clippers job were necessarily on the Pacers radar. I mean, right now I think Woj said that it was pretty much um, Ty Lue, an opportunity to promote within, or, you know, he mentioned Jeff Van Gundy. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe Chauncey's interested in a situation like that. He did play for the Clippers. I think he might have some relationships existing out there from, from having called games for them as well. But I mean, nothing's been reported on that front. Yeah. That, yeah, that was, was my first thought was, Oh, Billups was going to jump in there, you know, and be, cause he's been around them so much and maybe they had some discussions about that. But, you know, I mean, also, obviously, Tyron Lue makes a lot of sense uh, as far as familiarity as well and experience. But, um, yeah, that leverage play, you're right. But uh, all these reports and with sources and everything got to be taken into consideration. I, I kind of felt that way with uh, Billy Donovan when I heard that, that the Pacers had talked to him and then right away um, the Bulls had hired him. I was like, okay, maybe they're, maybe his people were floating that out there to get a little leverage as well. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I agree as far as the, the Clippers and, and Philly, they have their guys there, you know, what they're going to do with them. We don't know, but, uh, one of their main guys isn't asking to leave. That also helps. Uh, so, and the, and those markets are a little bigger as well. So that definitely makes us two jobs. I, I would say more appealing for, for guys and maybe the, and maybe the Pacers have to just wait in line. And see, uh, you know, if, if they're looking for a, a coach that has a little more, I don't know, experience, star power, if you will. Um, but also, you know, I, I feel like they're, I know they're, you know, I think they'd like to talk to a couple of those heat assistants when the heat, if, if and when the heat ever finished playing, it seems like they're going to just keep mm-hmm. going. <laughs> but, uh, they'll be done here soon. And, um, I, I don't think the Pacers, it seems like they're not, willing to move on without at least talking with them. Um, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I think I've been trying to really wrap my head around things the last, I feel like the last week or so things have really um, changed vibe and perspective a little bit. Um, I think, you know, just in looking at this team and, and where they're headed, I, it just feels so murky to me, especially after where we, if you just look at, you know, again, Caitlin and I talked about this in the last pod and the, the whole series that we did. Um, things felt so different for this team before the bubble. And obviously, you know, injuries factor into that. Firing Nate fires into that. Um, the, it just felt like a dynamic shift in everything once, I mean, on July 3rd when Victor reached out through the athletic. Um, I, I just don't, like, I'm not trying to make it sound dramatic like this team's in some terrible place, but I, I feel – um, a lot less sure of where the team is headed compared to where they were um, maybe two or three months ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because you don't know exactly what conversations, I mean, just to back up, like none of this that's coming out in the news today is going to be a surprise to Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers, I doubt. Like, yeah. I mean, right. I, I don't think that they're seeing that, oh, I'm reading there that that Victor is intent on moving on. Like, my guess is they have a pretty good of idea of whatever his intentions are. Maybe that's somewhat wishful thinking on my part, but I mean, even Kevin Pritchard in the zoom meeting, whenever he said that, like, I mean, basically what he said is he believes Oladipo wants to stay there until he's been told otherwise. Basically it was, we haven't had that conversation yet. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I, my guess is he has a decent grasp of, of where 
they both sides sit on that front. So um, it would be interesting to know what the conversation with coaching candidates has been though. Like, are, are they thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, whoever this coach is that maybe, you know, we get in a, a fresh hire or somebody who can better relate to players. And then maybe we do have a, t- a chance to still um, recruit Victor if he can recoup some of his value. I mean, or maybe they're already saying, Hey, like, we don't want to be the team that pays him on this new deal. And, and he agrees and doesn't, he, he wants to move on. So if you want to take a job here, we're going to be, you know, building around Brogdon and Sabonis and TJ Warren. Like it would be interesting to know how those conversations are going with some of these candidates. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, you talked about it being murky. I mean, that not having Sabonis in the bubble was just, Made, made things so different. And, you know, they play well during those seeding games and TJ Warren's, you know, breaking out a little bit. And, um, but then, you know, when, in the, the crunch of playoff time, you know, Sabonis is missing and he is such a key player. And, you know, a lot of the stuff he does can be taken for granted sometimes. So it felt kind of like, you know, they should have been fine without him with all they had, which, which, um, you know, certainly they could have played better, but, I mean, he, he's just a critical part, and, you know, hopefully he can come back a healthy 100%, but, I mean, he's definitely a, a key cog with what they're going to be doing here going forward, and for any coach, uh, you know, maybe maybe they are going to do a, a mini-rebuild if they if they trade Vic and, and Miles, but, but if you have, you know, some key guys like Brogdon and Sabonis and TJ Warren and, you know, the veteran guy, you know, Justin and and guys you can get going quickly with, depending upon who they trade for, um, it, it would still be appealing to, to, you know, move forward with all those guys together. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Those conversations, there's got to be some plan A, plan B, plan C lined out um, that, you know, someone's going to have to buy into um, and, and, you know, I guess if it ends up being a, a system we haven't heard of, then maybe, you know, those plans weren't looked upon too favorably. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I look at it a little bit like, um, you know, in terms of looking at the team moving forward, I'm getting uh, the, the worst part about everything. And this is me just being a little selfish. The worst part about everything is that I keep getting mentioned by people I don't know in these random trades for Victor and it's, uh, man, it's, I'm already getting tired of it. So I imagine it's worse for you guys because you have much bigger Twitter, Twitter followings than I do. So I can't, can't, can't even deal with it. Um, but it really brings up a lot in my head. You know, like a lot of people are talking about, um, you know, maybe the Pacers could, uh, move for a, uh, move for a higher draft pick, you know, like try and move into the lottery, um, in some sort of trade for Victor or Miles. Um, and I think about that, and that's where it really becomes again murky for me because you think about it, and I don't, I don't try and read like too, too much into like timelines and, and everything like that. But I do think there is some, some importance to that. You have to have guys who are kind of on the same point in their career, uh, at least for the most part, um, and, and moving towards something because it's just, it. I, I don't know. I think bringing in a, say, say a top ten pick to come into the starting lineup and play alongside guys who've been in the league for who already have their roles figured out and, and what they're doing. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know how we're not used to seeing that in Indiana at least. Um, so, I mean, I think Paul George is probably the last, last guy I can think of who really came in and did that. Um, 
But I, I don't know. I'm not really sure um, how you make that work in, in terms of doing like a, a mini rebuild, like you said, Tom. I mean, I think to a certain extent, um, I mean, we've touched on this a lot of times with, with Miles and Sabonis, you look at that pairing and I know you're over under on the last pod with <laughs> five games that Miles has. And I took the over because to me, like most likely uh, it's usually that a trade is less likely to happen than a trade is to happen. So for me, safe money was to hit the over, but I think that we pretty much all three agree and that that pairing has a limited ceiling and that it would make sense. And if, if you could get, I mean, obviously a pick is always a mystery box. You don't completely know what you're going to get, but like you say, the only, you know, top guy that they've gotten out of a 10, 11 range is, is Paul George. So do you think that that person would be better long-term than what you're going to get out of that center tandem? I, I, I don't know because I don't, I'm not a big draft person. I don't look into what this draft is going to be, but I, I think it's worth considering it. I mean, if I'm the Pacers, I'm listening to offers on Victor right now, and I'm going to be listening to offers on Miles because I, I, I just think it's worth it to, to gauge that value. Yeah, I think that, you know, right away, at a minimum, the ceiling would be high because <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I feel like we, we kind of know what the ceiling looks like um, with Miles and Sabonis. So, uh, and again, you know, it's funny – uh, this is uh, Kevin O'Connor and, and uh, Chris Vernon. They were talking about that sweet spot late in the lottery. Yeah, you get a, if you get a pick in that, you know, whatever nine to fourteen range. There's been there's been a lot of value there, um, and, and and it makes sense when you think about it because a lot of times the younger the player, the higher they go, and then you're you're also spending more money on those higher picks. But when you get those guys who are um, you know, have some issue or maybe an injury or maybe they're just older, um, but they're, you know, still quality players in that range. Um, there is some value there, but uh, again, w- that can't be all, all they're getting um, in a deal like that. So um, it, it's going to take some, some wheeling dealing by KP. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I think it's, it's interesting too, because it, it kind of brings up a little bit of a, a dilemma because um, I mean, something that I always fall back on just because I, I witnessed it. I mean, I, I, I talked about this recently as well. I mean, you bring up David Blatt in Cleveland. He was brought in to do one job and ended up doing another. And I guess, you know, that's part of coaching. Um, and that's part of, of being in the NBA. But at the same time, I mean, if you bring in a coach first and then complete, I mean, restructuring the roster, moving on from a guy like Vic and a guy from Miles or even just one of them. I mean, that's that's a totally different uh thing than you're looking at. So, I mean, obviously that, that has another stake in, in how coaching uh, is and how the coaching search is done and evaluated. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, if, I mean, it's like we go back to the Sixers conversation, like to me, the proper order of doing things is you sit down as an organization and you decide, you know, who are our core pieces? Where do we envision being? And then you hire somebody that you think is going to fit in advance, whatever that vision is. So like I said, my guess is that the Pacers have a pretty good feeling or will have a pretty good feeling if they sit down and have what I think needs to be a face-to-face conversation with Victor about, Hey, you know, what's your motivation here? If it's purely financial, 
I mean, because I will on a little bit of an aside here, I will say like, just because even if, even if Victor asks them for a trade, which we don't know what's happened, I'm not saying that that is something that's happened, but even if he does, doesn't mean they have to trade him right now. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, we know that from, you know, Greg Popovich and LaMarcus Aldridge. I, I think that it's partially might be in the Pacers better interest to let that ride a little bit and take a measured approach because he has every reason in the world to come back next season and try to recoup his own value just for his next contract. So if he can come back on the court and establish himself a little bit more under whoever the new coach is, maybe, maybe you do possibly, you know, woo him back to your side a little bit, but even if you don't, then you can pivot at the trade deadline and look at it then. Like I, I I get that there's a little bit of risk there, but I think right now you're going to be trading him for cents on the dollar a little bit just because of what he just looked like in the bubble. Like, I mean, it's really hard to have a feel for what his trade value even would be right now. Right. So, and we don't know. It may be dollars on the cents. <laughs> yeah, because like you say, we don't know what it's going to end up looking like. So, yeah. Exactly. Wouldn't it be Wouldn't it be nice if they could just have a, you know, a professional approach and just say, hey, let's help each other here. We know you're yeah. going out. Uh, we want the best deal, but we, we want the best return as well. So, you know, let's we'll, – whatever. We'll let you play X amount or you want to go before you play, whatever. But, you know, let's – quit trying to sabotage on the other side um, and uh, and get something done here. So, But it seems like in the NBA that just isn't a normal approach. No, well, yeah, because, sounds nice. Oh, sorry to hop no, in. No. I mean, because whichever team acquires them is going to have the same limitations in terms of an extension that the Pacers have. I mean, I know per Bobby Marks, he says that the Pacers right now can offer him four years, $112 million, which to me, like, that just seems – exorbitant right now with what he looked like but just to show like the top line of what it would be so if another team like let's just throw this out here like if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're thinking oh yeah you know maybe we'd be willing to to pair Victor because we already have two top stars and we think that he could give us something on the defensive end and hopefully be able to contribute as as a third piece you're not going to give up Karis LeVert for only one season of Victor Oladipo if you don't know that I mean, if he's yeah. if he's wanting more than what he can get in an extension is my point because he can earn far more than that as a free agent, whether with the Pacers or another team, mm-hmm. you're not going to give up something like that. And just just like with Miami, like even if they have even a remote inclination to me that, hey, Victor wants to play for us, I have no idea why they would give up their assets. Like that just doesn't seem like something Pat Riley would do. Seems like they would hold those cards and just let Vic sign there in a year. Like, why, why are they going to give stuff up to acquire him? So, for me, if right. I'm the Pacers, I'm taking a very measured, very measured approach with this. And the scary thing about that is, I mean, like, that, that would be, it seems like a situation where he would, you know, swallow his pride <laughs> and take less money right. for the situation. Because, um, like you say, I mean, it'd be hard, I'd be hard-pressed to find a lot of teams that would want to give, you know, whatever max money might be um, going forward without seeing anything else from Victor at this point. So then it becomes, okay, well, obvious, I, you know, it seems obvious that he was insulted in some way with whatever the Pacers offered. So he's going to at some point have to suck it up and probably take less. So then it's going to be about situation for sure. 
It's just funny because like that, like Mark and I talked about this, but like that offer of four years, 80 seemed like a low ball and we kind of wondered if it would backfire. And now it just seems like, oh yeah, that might even be a little bit high. I was going to say, I don't even know if I'd offer four for 80 right now. In the bubble. <laughs> and, and like we both said too, like if he circled around and agreed to that, you would wonder what's wrong. Like, I yeah. mean, I would, like if he agrees to that number now, I'd be like, well, what, what's going on? Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Oh man. I think I would actually I, just maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment. I would be more willing to pay Jeremy Grant than I'd be willing to pay Victor Oladipo <laughs> right now. After that's again, that's definitely a prisoner of the moment take. But um, you know, in in terms of just looking a little bit historically, how does this relate to kind of Pacer seasons of the past? I don't really have a ton to go off of here. Um, me trying to you know engage my youth again but uh tom and, and caitlin like how does this does, does this really even compare to like any era that we've kind of gone through um because i'm trying to rack my brain and think of it a little bit but this it's just this is such an uncharacteristic off season for the pacers and i know i've said that a million times i'm going to say it a million times more because i'm sure it's just going to keep getting weirder as the days go by right i mean i think what? people will, will automatically connect dots to the paul jordan situation which I mean, yeah. I don't think it's completely comparable because, I mean, you know, love or hate how Paul George handled that, he did tell the team up front that he didn't want to come back. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. and the Pacers did get Victor and Sabonis in exchange because he did say, you know, I'm not coming back. That would always be my preference. I prefer that a star player just automatically says, I, I don't plan to be here. But, I mean, I don't think anything's completely comparable to this because it's the perfect storm of 2020. Like, we have to look <laughs> yes. at this through the lens, too, of it, the fact that, the coronavirus is a thing that's happening because owners have taken a financial oh, hit. Absolutely. We don't know, you know, what Herb Simon's going to be willing to spend. I mean, I know some of this reporting with Oladipo has kind of been connected to the fact that, I mean, I've heard a multitude of things, but you know, if the Pacers don't want to be the team that pays this next contract, because you don't know what he's going to be, he doesn't want that potentially. I mean, I, I've, I've, heard some other things but you know we don't know what price tag herb simon's willing to pay and like i'm not going to speculate and say one way or another because i don't have any sourcing on that but i think that it is a factor and makes all of this weirder oh yeah and i mean in the whole league i mean you bring that up i mean they do not want to start playing if they're not going to have fans and they can't you know make money putting on games i mean that's it is a business and it is um you know, it remains really talking about cloudy. Uh, you know, the start of next season, the salary cap, all the basketball related income is very cloudy at this point. And, um, and so, you know, it, that, that's another reason, um, in some ways to keep your powder dry here before you know what's going to be actually happening and what all the, all the ground rules are going to end up being. Um, which is going to be tricky. And I don't, I, you know, it's going to be hard to tell um, how they even sort that out um, from year to year here coming up. Yeah. And I think, so it's actually kind of funny in, in looking at you know, cloudy, murky, muddy, we got every single kind of shade of gray going on for the Pacers. Why don't we bring back, <laughs> bring back the gray city edition jerseys? I actually, yeah, there you go. See, all right. Some people hated those. Oh, shoot those to them. the moon. Put what? those in a box and okay. shoot them to the I moon. I liked those. Why, 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 why no on the city edition gray? The jersey? only team that should be wearing gray, well, two, the Nets and the Spurs. And if I'm being honest, I would much prefer that the Spurs wear their, uh, Fiesta uniforms <laughs> oh, than, those were than, awesome. than the gray ones. I don't want any of my basketball teams wearing gray jerseys. It's it's too drab. I will say that uh, 
my younger son Sam, his uh, one of his buddies came in wearing uh, one of those uh, the other day, and it looked pretty sharp. But I mean, he had jeans on, and it wasn't you know on the court. So I've never had an issue with them. I hate it. Okay, the the worst one was uh, part of it was because of the year but it was was terrible too. But the uh, the twenty fifteen Hickory jerseys. Oh, all the Hickory jerseys are the worst ones. Oh yeah, the ones. Okay, they weren't as bad this year with the uh, with the white and and red trim. Um, but the the ones with the the like metallic shiny gold shorts, oh my god, those were maybe the worst jerseys. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a, that. So watching that and then watching Boise State play at home, I think those are the the most. Un, un- <laughs> I think that uh, I'm pretty sure that Hickory contracts run out. So oh, thank God, we're it's, good it's to go time. on that. Plus, actually, Caitlin, you brought this up on Twitter one time, and you got flamed for it about uh, not like not thinking Hoosiers is that great of a basketball movie. And I actually completely agree with you. I think it like it as time has gone on, the less I have liked that movie and some of the implications behind it. Um. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to get me to lose my Indiana card by bringing that back up. People are gonna <laughs> kick me out. Okay, I'm just gonna, gonna stay silent over here. But people are gonna <laughs> kick me out. But I mean, at the most basic level, we're asked in that movie to root for a coach. <laughs> we're asked to root for a coach by the end who lost his prior job because he hit a player. Like, <laughs> think about bad. think about that in today's context, though. Can you ever imagine that a high school coach gets fired, gets picked up by a new team, and, like, this is a person that you really want to support in the end of the movie? Like, just that alone. Plus, there's some undertones in it. And then, like, the whole reason reason they end up winning is because their best player decides, oh, yeah, I guess I'll come back and play. Like, there's not great basketball strategy in it. I'm sorry, Indiana. It's just, I, I do like the idea of there not being class basketball and small and big schools going head-to-head, but, like, the overall movie, not great. I agree. Well, hey, maybe we can, th- we can take some solace in, in knowing. Maybe Victor will decide that he wants to return just, like, late in the season and be like, you know what, I'll come play for the Pacers again. Why not? But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just in closing, we had to get something fun out, out in here. It's uh, It's been a... Uh, long day, but um, I appreciate you guys coming on and always, always talking. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next season and not to get sappy, but it's been pretty cool being to be part of this and uh, add my voice to the Pacers community and uh, you know just try and try and move forward with it. Um, to everyone listening at home, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify. Read us in any cornrows. First of all, before I get you guys out of here, what are you looking forward to this week that is positive? That is not even doesn't have to be related to basketball. What are we looking forward to? There's going to be a positive thing I'm looking for and to in this cursed year. Oh come on! <laughs> um, yeah, actually I do. That is basketball related and is Pacer team related. I never write draft content. I never do it, but I have an entire piece drafted and ready to publish about a potential player in the second round that I've been told that the Pacers really like. So be on the lookout You're for that. Sm- are you smitten with this player, or you just oh you have a little uh, some something that people are uh, thinking the Pacers really would be targeting this guy? That sounds good. Um, yeah, I don't. I I mean, it's a second round pick. It's going to be a guy that gets picked at at fifty six. But I I think there's a lot of reasons to like him. I point out some 
positives and negatives. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I did get told this was back in June, so things can change. But I did get told that the Pacers have had him circled in the second round. So yeah, I'm excited. We'll, I saw have, your, we'll have a profile on that. I saw your headline, yeah. and I I'm starting my as soon as I'm done with this piece that I'm working on, I'm starting my draft work. And I have like a list of like ten guys, and he was the one guy who I had at like eleven that I decided not to talk about. So. Oh, well, that's good. Yes, it worked out great. You didn't think enough of him to write about it. No, no. It was, I don't know. <laughs> Caitlin, I'll be honest. I don't know anything about the draft right now. I just took a composite of like 15 big boards from some of my friends who covered the draft. Right. Some of the big writers and compiled them. It was like, well, who's going to be there from like 45 to 60? And um, he did not end up there for me. No, he's on the fringes. but Yeah. But yeah. I'm excited. Tom, what are you looking forward to this week? Well, I'm actually looking forward to the finals. I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of Frank's, and I can't root for the Lakers, though. Um, it's going to be weird, and I love watching the Heat. I mean, I really yeah. appreciate the way they play. I can't really get excited about them winning the title, but um, I just think it's – I think, you know, I, I just feel like the Lakers haven't had that rough of a road yet, and this Heat team has – some dynamic possibilities, that, and you know, I I feel like they're going to be tough enough with guys like Butler and Jay Crowder and and Iguodala. They're not going to back down to uh, some of the bullying of LeBron, and I feel like it could be a good series. I'm, I'm hoping it is. You know, first couple of games will obviously kind of set the tone, and um, but you know, I guess the silver lining for the Lakers side of it is if Frank were to win, that would be fantastic so I'm, I'm just really looking forward to watching it and i'm sure once once the games get going i usually you know it's hard to check your emotions and you figure out which team you're kind of rooting for but it's either rooting against lebron or rooting for frank i don't know <laughs> but i'm looking forward to it guys thank you for coming on to everyone listening have a great rest of your day get some pacers positivity in your life too i think that's going to be a regular session until we are uh, we are done with the off season because i feel like we're going to need some of it um but most importantly just have a good rest of your day